Hi everyone, this time around I have David, or Nemesis. You pick. If you're familiar with his writing, you need no further introduction. Otherwise, I do my best to ask a few questions and guide us along the way to a writer's journey and some really interesting experiences as well as exciting projects coming up soon. We're going to get... We're going to get all the sounds in this one. For anyone Not. just hopping in, <laughs> we're going to get all the sounds. I'm joined today by David Nem, who I did not take the time to ask. Do you prefer Nem, David, when you're doing a chat? How do people most often like identify with you, find your work? I, I am fine with either one. Um, I write under the... Nom, you know, the nom de plume D.W. Howard. That's how I sign my stuff. But uh, Nem has become my unofficial official nickname. So most people that work with me call me Nem. I'm good with either, uh, you know, or David. My wife calls me Dave or David. So, you know, that that's how that goes. So I, I am a man of many names. So <laughs> I I understand that as, as someone with the name Seth, whose mom would call me by my middle name, which is Dave. Mm -hmm. And throw all of my friends off like why did your mom call you david sometimes she calls me by my middle name i don't know what to tell you but it does give me an opportunity to rewind for a second and talk about the fact that we're getting together because of la cunningham and mr paul hayden who also has a new nom de plume uh and also has a you know a completely different identity under that of hades right so correct, correct um it's it's not as though this is foreign territory for me i can i can navigate this i have <laughs> i have faith i can even work this out in fact i can even do a little self maintenance and wonder if my screen is just a little there we go camera we'll see if we can make you bright and pretty <laughs> it was it was la who introduced me to uh, L.A. Cunningham introduced me to everything that's going on with you guys at ASAP Imagination and the projects you've been doing there. She referred to you as them constantly. So a as, a, as an understanding for me, because I want to be able to communicate with her in Hades later, I will use that name for now. But Sounds I wanted great. to clear it up. <laughs> I, I, I do podcasts on, on, uh, for ASAP Imagination and also Comic Crusaders. And everyone just calls me Nem on that. So when I podcast, I go by Nem. When I do interviews, when I'm interviewing other people, I go by Nem. So Nem is probably the way, you know, people that saw those would know me. So, Well, if we're going to follow the podcasting way, I say let's follow the way with Nem. And okay. it's, it's, a <laughs> it's a fun way to start also because it reminds me that this all began for me with learning about um, Lori's Babies with Rabies which yeah. was a really fun introduction to a, you know, survival style guide, alphabet style, for when babies do eventually become the, uh, the terrible marauders who conquer the planet, right? Um, mm -hmm. I've got my copy right up on my, uh, over here to the side of me, I can look at it, so. Yep. And with that, she then introduced me to all of the things that you and Hades have been building, this this amazing idea of not only ASAP imagination, but how it's burgeoned into things like the any one world, but also this idea of a, a series of stories that right. are about, you know, an event and what transpires after the event, how people and identities are drastically changed. And I'd love for you to just sort of um, walk me through the parts that you've been involved in and 
let anyone listening who maybe has heard about some of this, maybe has had no introduction until right now to like, okay, well, who is that? Who is that? What's ASAP Imagination? And, and what is this storyline following an event and the characters who come out of it? So, Absolutely. <laughs> so, um, you know, to just to go back a little bit before I came into it, it all started with, uh, you know, what you said, Hades and L.A. and Laurie. And um, they wrote uh, POV, so Points of Virtue, Points of Villainy, and they were writing this together. And um, I was involved with Comic Crusaders, and Hades was with Comic Crusaders at the time, and they knew that um, among many other things that I do, I also do, I dabble in, you know, Photoshop stuff, and I also do video editing. And um, so they came to me, and they wanted some help with the cover, uh, for POV. So I helped them do the cover for POV uh, and do some of that. And um, Hades also knew that um, I was a big, you know, I'm a writer and I'm a big comic book fan and, and was doing comic book reviews at the time. And and we had gotten to talking and he knew that I was involved in that. So POV, to go back again though, POV was about the event and it's a, it's a, a book with stories of, of short stories about people's experiences during the event. And this is this cataclysmic thing that happens in the UK and it's basically changing the world, you know? And, and, and I gotta be careful because I have this tendency to Tom Holland stuff, as people say, and, and give too much away, you know? I get in trouble for that sometimes. But, That's uh, okay. I think it was Ruffalo too who got into a bit of trouble, right? Like, did he live stream the first ten minutes of some one of the premieres? And yeah, yeah. So there, there's something with that sort of you know um, laid back and fun Marvel group where you got to be like, guys, guys, not so laid back. So um, unfortunately, I can't steer you in the best directions. But I do understand if you're like, I'm gonna you know tiptoe around some spot. So. Do what you need to do. With that. <laughs> yeah. But thank you for bringing in Points of Virtue. I think that's a great introduction to what this event is and the stories that surround it for anyone who wants to kind of figure out, like, where's a good starting place. This would be absolutely. a great opportunity to really, like, okay, this is how it, quote unquote, all began. Yeah, absolutely. And then not only that, so that was originally a prose book. Um, and then um, they are actually turning those stories into comics now so uh pov points of virtue and points of villainy one are both out now i believe and i think uh points of virtue two is coming out soon you know so that turned into graphic format you know which is always fun to see your prose story stories turn graphic you know that's always cool to see um so anyway um paul knew that uh I i'm very much into um writing the darker side of things. I love to come up with villains and I love story building, story, you know, building worlds and things like that. Um, I also have a, a military background uh, from my schooling. And also I was in the mill, I was an uh, army officer for a while. Um, and I went to West Point and graduated. So I've got that background in government agencies and things like that. So Paul had this idea and we were kicking around ideas. He goes, hey, how would you like to help me develop the bad guys in behind the scenes? And I said, hey, I'd love that. So I started working with them and we were building out this world and everything. And, and I came up with different organizations, a lot of which people have yet to see. You know, eventually you'll see all my work. But um, I came up with this uh, group called OPSEC. Um, and OPSEC in military terms simply stands for Operational Security. Um, and so OPSEC in 
ASAP world is the operations and security group. And Paul was looking at this, what I had come up with this, he's like, this would be a great comic book. I said, I agree. And so I started writing OPSEC, and I don't know, you probably can't see it over my shoulder, but uh, issues one and two are out right now. And, and the best way I could describe it most of the time is if you combined X-Files with the Bureau of Par Paranormal Research and Defense, you know, the, the great Mike McNoll stuff with Hellboy, that's OPSEC, you know, and, and so uh, that's going on. And, and issue three is being drawn right now. In fact, I think it's almost done and will be coming out. And it's a lot of fun for me. And uh, some characters in there. So I've got two agents, a male and a female, and I, and I love them. But everybody loves that they're, they've been partnered up with this semi-psychotic uh, young girl, young lady. She's not a girl, she's 20, but she's a young lady. And her demonic doll. The doll is actually alive, a demonic named Maisie. And she's a sarcastic, very violent, uh, you know, uh, doll who is fun to watch and fun to write and fun to see on, on paper. So, a lot of fun. That certainly sounds like a lot of fun. It, yeah, Mike hesitated for a second there, and I just had to sort of look at like, hey, do what you're supposed to. I click you, and you respond. Um, the the idea there, you know, you, you take what would be a, a classic structure, one that fans of, say, the X-Files have come to understand. You've got a partnership. You've got, you know, a way of looking at these somewhat bizarre events. Now we throw a little bit of chaos into the mix with this young character who also has a doll. Now, really quickly, just regarding this, this doll, is it only vocalizing these murderous intents or is it actually like a Chucky sort of, I can oh, do murderous things? It's a Chucky. Uh, so um, for obvious reasons, uh, I modeled it after the Cabbage Patch dolls, but in our world, I call it a Lettuce Patch doll. Uh, you know, because Lovely. I don't want to get sued. Um, and uh, but uh, she looks all sweet and everything until she starts fighting and then she cracks and she's got green eyes that turn into flame and she's got rows of shark teeth and, you know, and and she's under control. So, you know, you're the thing that everybody wonders is how are these government agents who are straight laced and doing a job and their job is to can is to investigate control and sometimes eliminate paranormal and superpowered threats you know and they, it's like how how does this fit in and it's like you're going to find out eventually but uh yeah the the very i will give away because the issue one's been out for a while uh they encounter a monster and one of my favorite scenes is they send the doll in to do the agent's work they're like hey, send the doll in to go see what's going in there and the doll suddenly is like, what is that smell? And this, this huge furry monster comes out and she's fighting it. And it throws her out of one panel across the whole comic book and into another panel. And she's like, ah, you know, and then she spits a ball of fur out and like balls up her fist to go get it, you know? So it's like, I love that. So, <laughs> Yeah, no, that sounds like a lot of fun to, to write and also a lot of fun to see come to life. As you mentioned, one of those great things is this evolution where points of villainy, points of virtue, has now gone from a prose project to then taking these ideas and, and giving them that, that wonderful visual storytelling element as well and, and let fans enjoy all of that. Um, and you're joining the project sounds like a perfect fit because you can bring in this idea of op security, you know, and what that means to sort of another lens to view a world in which 
this event has occurred, there's going to be many facets that are going to be affected. And, and I'm sure there are going to be groups that are saying, hey, what does this mean for us and the job that we do, whether it is, you know, security of things that had already been known or security for things that are maybe coming about um, because of this event. Also, Absolutely. I... I can okay, so I'm on I'm on a good track there, and also yeah. I can imagine um, that there is an interesting parallel between the idea of having uh, this young character and Doll join the uh, cadre in that. Well, much like you might rely on someone who has done some very bad things to understand a behavior, a pattern of behavior. Um, methodology, even tracking something, you get something that thinks the same way. You get someone who thinks the same way. So this sounds like a great opportunity for them to say, whoa, 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 we could imprison these characters or we could put these characters to work helping us find more trouble like them. Um, Absolutely. And I think, you know, you're, you're, you're on the right track. And then it, I think it begs the question and, and, you know, and the readers is, um, you know, once you've opened that 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 pit how far down does it go you know how far down does it go what are they doing so you know yeah i mean plus there's also you know the the always classic idea of what happens when you dance with the devil odds are the devil doesn't change you do so you know the more that they get involved with a character like this and learn to sort of um maybe even think in the same way or uh predict mannerisms that's also going to change their thinking i think it's such a fun idea um because we're always conscientious of like are these new tvs and and new sort of uh movies that we're watching are they changing the way our brains work and the way we're viewing things so we're we're always conscientious of what that reflection is like um i'm I'm curious on the fact that, you know, you you mentioned that you have all of this great experience because you're able to draw on the life experience that has led to it. If you want to remind just for a moment, rewinding a little bit and getting us maybe into some of that history, but also sharing a bit about where your storytelling desires began. You know, were you always that kid stapling together uh, self-made novels at the age of like four or was there a gradual progression? How did that, that world of writing come into, uh, into fruition for you? Sure. Um, I've really always been that kid that wanted to tell stories. Um, I don't know if, if you were like this, but my mom, uh, growing up, she always had this book for my brother and my sister and I, um, you know, and we filled it out every year before school and it had your school picture in it. And it said, what do you want to be when you grow up and all that stuff. And, and my dad was a fireman. So fireman was always in there. And then everything changed from year to year, like as a normal kid. But the one thing that didn't change besides fireman was writer. I always wanted to be a writer. And so I was always telling stories. And um, actually for a while there, I had a friend, <clears throat> this is, it's funny uh, he was great at drawing. He used to draw these these incredible figures that kind of looked like Lego figures come to life, Lego people. And I would sit there and tell him Very stories, <laughs> and he would draw them at the same time. And so there are these two eight-year-old kids sitting there with these little Lego figures doing these horrible things. I mean, he'd draw where, like, the bullet would hit the head and it come out the other end, and, you know, and people are fighting and everything. And, and you know, it's like it was just one of those things. I was like, I wish I still knew him. We'd probably be great teaming up together, collaborating. But... Um, <laughs> So that was going on. And then 
Um, yeah, so like I said, I always wanted to be a writer, and I used to do creative writing very young. And the first thing I had published uh, was in a school district. Uh, you know, our school district published works from different writers and stuff, and I actually won first place award. I wrote my first horror story when I was nine. So I wrote a yeah, horror story in nine and it got published and, and I just kept going from there and I kept writing and I, and I really got into writing uh, poetry and stuff. I, I'm a big fan of Elizabethan sonnets. So I used to write those all the time, which is a very nerdy and boring thing unless you're into it, but that was me. <laughs> and uh, you know, but I, I was always doing that. And, uh, but I, it, it was a hobby at that point. It was something I enjoyed, but I didn't really think, you know, where was I going to go with this? And, and I wanted to be in the military and I ended up going to, uh, West Point. Um, and I graduated and became an officer. And even through there, I kept writing, you know, uh, believe it or not, we take like creative writing classes and stuff at, at West Point and English lit and things like that. So I was still writing while I was there and doing that. And, um, I got out and I decided uh, I had three loves at that point, military history. Um, I was a computer science major at West Point and writing. And I was like, well, military history really only has one way to go. You could be a teacher. And I was like, well, I, I don't really want to be a teacher, you know, so, you know, I don't want to do that. Uh, or you can write books, which would be interesting. But there's not a lot of people out there want to write, read a detailed history of uh Austerlitz to Waterloo, you know, it's like, that's a, that's a limited audience. Uh, and, and then writing, I still thought of as, as a hobby, you know, I didn't think of it as a quote unquote real job, which is a really silly way of thinking. So I got into computers and computers and did uh, consulting work. I was a variety of different industries. That's, that's the boring part of my life. And, uh, and I will say that uh, I was not happy. You know, the hours were long. Um, and uh, the commute was longer, and <laughs> it was just incredibly, incredibly taxing. And all the time, my wife, who is the voice of wisdom, was like, you know, we will survive if you go and do what you want to do, and we will take a hit financially, but go follow your passions, you know? And it's like, no, no, I got to do this. And uh, my body eventually broke down, and I, I am disabled now. I had some medical issues, and... And so I was sitting here and eventually I was still writing. Over the years, I've thrown away 15 novels that I didn't think were good enough. And um, Comic Crusaders came along and they had an advertisement for a reviewer. And besides novels and everything, I love comic books. And I wasn't going to do it. My wife was like, take a chance. Go, go do it. You know, and once again, that voice of wisdom, you know, and uh, I did. And one thing led to another. So everything started from there. And I got to give a shout out to Al Mega of Comic Crusaders. I started reviewing comic books. That led to interviews, uh, going to red carpet stuff and interviewing people. Uh, I got to interview Cassandra Peterson of Elvira. I've gotten to interview uh, Scott Snyder and, you know, just all sorts of different people. You know, uh, Todd McFarlane, I've got to interview him. And then that led to me meeting, meeting Hades. And Hades has been another great person who pushed and said, hey, you know, uh, give me your writing, you know? And so uh, that led to that. And then I happened to be working on, on a novel that I was getting ready to throw away. And he was like, my wife and Hades were like, no, no, don't do it. 
And that led to The Long Game being published, which is out through any one world. So now I'm a novelist as well, and I'm working on two other novels and another comic book series. And I've just opened my own uh, comic studio as well. So, you know, besides working for ASAP, I'm writing novels and have my own comic studio. So you never know where life is going to take you. So <laughs> you you never do. Now, here's the best part. You've you've, you know, given us this wonderful through line, uh -huh. but you've you provide all these great branches where I'm like, yeah, yeah, but I can come back here and just sort of, you know, touch back on these moments. And it, it's it's one of those blessings where afterwards I'm like, okay, where yeah. shall we start? Because <laughs> I'm about to have some fun. Uh, the first thing that, that comes to mind is I remember in high school there was a, a friend of mine who went through, um, and he wasn't a close friend, we knew each other, but he went through this very interesting trajectory where sophomore year, I remember he's in... Um, English class with me and he's talking with my teacher about how he's really trying to get his grades up because he's going to be going to he wants to go to military school he and his dad have this great plan and this is how he can get into a military academy and this will be part of his progression to targeting a high-end um, opportunity like say West Point fast forward a year year and a half he ends up at his first punk rock concert I hear this story in the like PE locker room where he like jumps up on the stage and grabs the no stage diving sign and dives into the crowd <laughs> and body surfs. And I'm like, I don't know if this guy's coming back, man. This sounds like, and that was it. Like suddenly he's wearing Vandals t-shirts and, and Dinosaur Jr. And you're like, uh-oh, we might have, you know. But it was very interesting how dedicated he was to that idea. And many stories that I've heard, once you reach that point and actually successfully complete West Point, because just like college, it's one thing to get there. It's another thing to, to move beyond. You had achieved all of this amazing success. Had there been a, you know, a drive behind that, that that changed after maybe you know, real world experience or, or some other element where it's like, yeah, I've got this, but am I satisfied? Is this what I want? Maybe there's another calling, another direction. Just anything you'd like to share about that? Because it seems like yeah. a lot of work to get through a certain point, but maybe once you reach that point, it tells you, hey, this was a great achievement, a milestone. Now I'm going to do this. Absolutely. And it's interesting you brought up your friend because I was kind of the opposite. Um, even though I had this, this goal to go to West Point and I wanted to serve in the military, uh, you know, and and I'll say this up front, this is not me slagging the military or West Point at all. It, it, it is you know, a different beast, a different animal, and there's a mindset. But I had a very romanticized version of the military and West Point, and um, it's a job, you know. It is a, a grind, a nine-to-five job, and there are things that, there, there are, you know, if we want to go there, there are, there are ugly stories that happen that kind of changed my mind, you know, things that I saw, um, and, and I plan on maybe someday writing a book about the funny things and then the, the sad things that happened through that process. But before that, I was always that kid. I It's funny you mentioned punk rock. I was into punk rock music. So I was like a clean cut jock who was also into nerdy stuff and punk rock and things like that, you know, because I was also a swimmer and a water polo player, um, you know, and doing all this stuff. So I, I, I was an eclectic enigma, you know, so it was really strange. And so I went there and... Um, 
being really stupid and young and dumb, I decided that I was not going to let West Point break me, you know. And so the best way I could sum that up is one of the rules is every time you go out from West Point and if you go on leave or something, you know, to go out around the area and stuff like that, civilian clothes, you're supposed to go in what's called the cadet uniform. And it's really that East Coast casual. They say casual, but it's like khakis and a button down, you know, our collared shirt and belt, leather belt and everything. I was like, that's not casual. I'm going to California casual. I was always getting in trouble because I was going out in a surf shirt and shorts and, and you know, whatever, you know, and, and that was just me. And, and, and it was a stupid thing because I did get in trouble a lot at West Point. Um, and once again, I got to say my wife, you know, it was like, I was always sitting there, you know, little, it wasn't an outright rebellion, but little bits of rebellion, you know, here and there. And uh, my wife came along and I met her and then suddenly I was making Dean's List and, and doing all this stuff. And, and my wife was, and my TAC officer was like, where the hell has this been your whole cadet career? I was like, well, now I'm happy. You know, I've got my wife, you know, or my, <laughs> my fiance at the time. So, right. yeah, you know, but then I got out in the regular military and, and stuff I'd seen at West Point. And I was like, I had planned on making it a 20 year career and, and I ended up getting injured and they offered me and an early out because in the 90s we were reducing our force you know and so they're getting rid of a lot of people and they said you know you know if you want to if you want you've got an injury and everything and be non-deployable uh and while you're rehabbing it you can get out and i was like yeah that's probably the best bet for me and so i took that option um and i ended up becoming a defense contractor because i wanted to make sure that i wanted to pay back my time in some way you know so I worked as a defense contractor for a while. And then same thing, you know, there, there are experiences there where I saw the ugly side of that. You know, it's like there's a lot of greed and, and corruption and stuff. And, and, and so they wanted me to be on the, the road for 50 weeks a year, you know, supporting stuff. And I had just gotten married and I was like, you know what, I think it's time for me to move on. So I moved on and, and, I, and I ended up working in, in the medical field and banking as a computer scientist for a long time until I got out of that and then chose chase this, that, you know, so it's like, it, like I said, you never know where life will take you. But um, I was looking for something where uh, I really felt passionate about and, and, and wanted to be able to grab it. And um, I eventually found it. So I'm happy. Wonderful. No, I, I think it also is an interesting um, opportunity to parallel with the uh, the events of, say, the points of virtue, points of villainy. There's this, like, things are going, then there's an event that occurs, and it changes your perception. It causes you to reevaluate everything, or things are reevaluated for you, however th it might transpire. You know, there can be... Um, I teach a few courses, and in one of them, we've just approached an idea that we're going to address regarding a current novel, and it's the paradigm shift. And it's that moment in which you experience something in which your worldview is either broadened or expanded or shifted so that you can understand now, oh, so that's what it looks like. And now suddenly I'm able to view more information, consider things through an additional perspective. and. As you point out, there are plenty of things that get romanticized. They, they seem one thing, and then the day-to-day -day is a, a much different experience. Mm -hmm. I, um, I'm familiar with that in a couple of experiences of my own, and after doing so, it's like, all right, this isn't what, this isn't what, yeah, and now it's time to find the new thing, and okay. um, you and I can catch up about fun stuff like that after we're done recording, but... Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you there. No, I, I, I was going to say, though, it's like like you said with that, 
Uh, the one thing I will say about West Point and all of these experiences and that has influenced my writing the most is the one piece of advice I got before I went through all the time is never lose your sense of humor. Absolutely true, because I, I think you'd want to, you know, without uh, I don't want to make light of suicide, but literally you would want to jump off a cliff if you didn't keep your sense of humor with all the stuff that you go through. And with everything I've gone through, you know, it, it's just that sense of humor and, and being able to see the lighter side of everything and, and put things in perspective that if, has kept me sane and also, well, depends on who you talk to, and uh, kept me sane. And also, uh, it's heavily influenced my writing because even when I'm writing dark stuff, um, you got to lighten it up every now and then, you know, and bring that into it. So. Yes, no, I completely agree with that. I also think that you're, you're bringing up a great point. I know there's times where I, I lost my sense of humor and it, it was like that awareness of like, okay, this isn't healthy. You need to make a change based on the fact that if you can't keep your sense of humor, I used to have a fun joke with people I worked with that I would say, hey man, if, if you're laughing, I'm doing my job. If you're smiling, I'm doing my job. We're having fun together. Mm -hmm. And the recognition of like, yep, when that's gone, it's time to go. You know, there's there's a, you know, a signal there. Um, but what I, I loved your explanation of that because, I think it's helpful for anyone to understand that there's there's what you think, you're going to do and be, and you arrive at a point, and then you say, okay, maybe that's who I was for this period of time, or this is what I got the chance to experience, but getting there doesn't mean I have to stay there. Doing something doesn't mean that I've committed the rest of my life to this thing, especially when it comes to your happiness. Love that you're able to share the, the great advice from your partner. Uh, my my wife is my, my North Star. I, I completely relate to that fact of um, it's, it's the one person who when I'm turning to ask a question, I'm like, you know me, but you also know all of the things that go with me, flaws, good, bad, what I like and what I don't, what I can handle, what I can't <laughs> to a degree. And having that, that reference point, you know, especially because if you're going to get creative, if you're going to be building worlds in your mind, you can get lost in all these different thoughts and ideas. And it's great to have that, that sort of great grounding. So um, I'm, I'm grateful to hear that that was so important, not only to like give you that lift up and success for your time at West Point, but then to come out of it and say, okay, you can keep trying to do the quote unquote responsible things as you feel you need to. You can keep earning uh, different levels that provide, but at some point, you know, are you providing for yourself? And if that's something we need to focus on, then no matter how much time has passed, let's make the change. Let's live a better quality of life based on pursuing happiness. But also let's not leave behind all these great things you have take your work experience take your experience uh whether it's in west point in the military um doing defense contracting and turn it into a story that looks at so many of those elements i would imagine as i bring it all back to yeah. opsec and i'll let you know it actually over your left shoulder i can see one of the covers for opsec popping through yeah like yeah. i just noticed it. i was like yep yeah, yeah we got covers in there people can get a peek there's a little teaser if you want more we're going to show you the links for all the stuff on asap imagination any one world and all of it but that idea then you know how do you then take so many great things because i'm also finding that you have an interesting parallel with a very popular a couple of actually very popular comic writers i immediately think of someone say like uh tom king yeah when it comes to the idea of taking 
what your experience is within military and government bureaucracy and then turning around and saying, okay, how would that sort of mindset view an event like the uh, POV story that we're talking about and the OPSEC that comes out of it? Did you find yourself automatically knowing this is where we start and all of that? Or was it more about building some of these elements of the world and then saying, okay, now that I have these pieces, where, where does this story begin for me? Um, can you share just a little bit of evolution about your beginning of OPSEC with the uh, sure. concept? So, sure. um, you know, Paul came to me and, and, and Paul is the mastermind behind the Our World portion of ASAP. I've learned this, I keep hearing it. <laughs> yeah, you know, so Paul has this idea you know, and, and he's got these places he wants it to go. And then he said, there's this this group. And this is where I got to be careful because a lot of this hasn't been revealed yet. But there's this 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 group out there of, of bad people. And he's like, and this is my high-level idea, you know. And and uh, and he said, can you build on that for me? And, and so I went away and I started building an organization. And I'll say that... This is where the, the the military really came up with it because I start doing flowcharts and organization structures and how it's all built and who's <laughs> reporting to who and backstories and logos and badges and, and all of that, you know, before I even start writing stories. And I said, and here's all of this and here's the government organization and this is what's going on there and there. And then I said, and this is OPSEC and this is a government agency that exists and they're in charge of inv investigating all this. And uh, and I said, and this is where this all fits in. And and I even did my research on, you know, the UK because I had a little bit of knowledge of the way UK works, but I wanted to look into MI5 and MI6 and Scotland Yard. And it's like, if OPSEC existed, how would they fit into the real UK? So it, it feels real to people who live there. You know, I said, you know, this is how they, they do stuff. So for instance, I wrote a whole series of short stories that may get published someday but mostly they were for me to flesh out in my mind different ways things are happening and one of them which was OPSEC is going to have to have a logistics division where they go in and if an OPSEC agent needs to go undercover to the National Health Service you know they have a they have a way to dig into the NHS you know database and create fake IDs and things like that and do all that stuff so you know I I and I was really thinking about this, and I really leveraged how I know, for instance, in the military, it's like if, if you're getting intelligence, you're getting intelligence from the DIA and the CIA, and, and uh, depending on how high level it is, it could be uh, you're getting stuff from the Air Force Intelligence Agency and Army. You know, it's like all these people working together, and not all of them have the same goals. You know, they say they're working in the same direction, but they all have different goals and missions and they're competing with each other. And, and so it's, it becomes a very interesting dynamic. And so I brought all that in. And then at the very tip of the iceberg right now, from what you're seeing is OPSEC. And that's all you're seeing. There's a whole iceberg under the water of everything else. So that sounds like a lot of fun to build. It sounds like, you know, you were really able to as you pointed out, draw from your experience. And also, as you said, the, the West Point, you know, training starts coming into play where you're like, okay, let's, let's build this thing, you know, and yeah. let's have the branches and let's, let's add all of the details. Um, I, I imagine it's, it's something where you could very easily get lost. Was there a, a point where, you know, Hades is checking in? Like, hey, man, 
been a while. How you doing? Um, or was, you know, what did he actually have to sort of be like, hey, yeah, so I've gotten like 15 texts and a bunch of messages and you appear to be doing well and you're updating me a lot? Or what, what was that communication process like? Because you kind of mentioned you went away, but I'm always curious, you know, do some people keep the threads open? Others, yeah, solitude. It was really the, the second one, you know, so it's like the Hades has to really rein me in. A lot, you know, because I'm like, oh, I want to do this, 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 and this. Yeah, he's the brakes. <laughs> yeah, and he's like, you know, uh, you know, like I said, I wrote all these short stories, and and I hope someday that you know we'll publish them. But he's like, man, you did all this stuff, and it's like I don't know what to do with it, and it's like, man, you know, that's fine, you know. But uh, yeah, it was definitely that situation. But eventually, when he came to me with the opsec story, I guess that was his moment where he said, okay, now we got to turn this into something that we could put out there for everybody, you know? So I was building all this stuff and he's like, and this is what he's really good at. He's really got this business sense. And he looked at it and he said, all of these things you've built right now, where we're at, OPSEC needs to be out in front of the public. And so he put me, he pointed me in that direction. And then I started writing OPSEC, you know, but um, yeah, that's a ton of fun and doing all of that stuff. But eventually, yeah, you're right. You gotta, you gotta turn off the world building and turn that into presenting to people. But the thing I love about the world building is that it makes it easier for me to write the characters and situations. So um, I already know in my head most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time, how people are gonna react or what they're going to do because they are already alive in my brain and on paper somewhere else, so. And that's such a fun thing, because once you know how all those characters are going to react, it's like, you know, presenting a scenario and then watching them go around. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think there's a lot of fun to be had there. I also, I, I love the fact that we get to move into the characters, because while I'm going to start with the agents who, you know, people are naturally going to make comparison to things like the X-Files, the, the thing that's interesting about the, um, the monster hunter who's helping them the the uh, the young lady as well as the doll is it also it has some great echoes to things that you're seeing James Tynan do with something is killing the children and this concept of like well if you capture if you find these monsters some you kill but others you capture and stuff inside a doll and then you use the doll for different reasons so I also I, I get a kick out of how there can be these concepts but then there can be all these different interpretations of similar concepts and then it's like oh wow how can we play with these ideas as far as storytelling? You know, Tynan's got his idea with this whole other, you know, world and something is killing. Yours is doing it from a completely different approach in which the military has captured and is using, but they're also bringing us elements of things like, say, Netflix's Mindhunter, perhaps, mm -hmm. or some other things like that where I feel you can really find some natural fits. So as we move into our characters, um, let's start with our two agents. Sure. Just give us a little insight about, you know, who they are individually and how they operate together, what they're like as a team. Sure. So um, each OPSEC team that I've developed, so they're, they're, they work in teams and there's more than one team. Um, and actually, the first issue of OPSEC um, starts on two other agents being killed investigating. They actually go in and, they, and they're killed. Um, but our two agents that are central to the OPSEC uh, comic are, the first one is the team leader, and her name is Indra Jafari. And I really played, uh, she's a Pakistani descent, but I wanted to play with this idea that, you know, uh, she's from London, 
and there's a large Pakistani community there, and she grew up there, and she was originally an MI5 agent who was tasked over for intelligence over to OPSEC, and, and she liked what they were doing, and then the event happened, and her family was killed, and she was like, you know what, I want to eliminate paranormal threats, and so she comes over full-time to OPSEC, and she's a team leader, so she has tactical expertise, strategic planning, tactical planning, um, she's familiar with all the gadgets and stuff that OPSEC uses, and so she is, for all intents and purposes, the brains of the operation, you know, but she is very, also skilled as a fighter and, uh, you know, a hand-to-hand combat and, and also marksmanship. Uh, paired with her um, as a slightly older gentleman, um, he's I'm not old, he's probably, I think, if I remember, he's like 40, uh, and his name is Nigel Hammersmith, big old huge walrus mustache, uh, former SAS a paratrooper sergeant in the SAS and he got out and decided he was looking for something else to do and his commander was a team leader in OPSEC who ended up getting killed Andrew Jafari takes his place but his commander turned him on to um, to OPSEC and he comes into OPSEC and he is the weapons specialist so he is the hired gun he's the muscle um, not that he is not able to do tactical things and everything but he is the one that provides the firepower uh, for the plans that Indra Jafari is coming up with. So those are our two agents. And the way that, I mean, they work really well together. You know, they're they the yin and the yang uh, to each other and the way they approach problems and everything. And I love being able to play with their two ways of looking at stuff. You know, Nigel's natural inclination is to bash something with the, you know, the butt of a rifle, you know, and then figure it out later. And, and Indra is really looking at stuff. But sometimes they'll switch you know, and, and, and look at things differently. And um, I will say a little hint that they are going to butt heads coming up later in the series on, on what is the utility of doing things, you know, because um, Nigel is very much that military, no-nonsense, get-the-mission-done type person who has a romanticized version of what their mission is. Injury comes from an intelligence aspect you know, uh, is very pragmatic about what they're doing, you know, and, and those two mindsets aren't always going to see eye to eye. So. I can imagine that, especially when you think of where their, you know, foundations are rooted, you know, for someone who's coming out of the SAS, someone with that history, you know, the, you, you achieve the mission objective. That is your job. You don't question things because that's how missions fail. That's how people die. Mm -hmm. Um, and for both of these characters, they're coming in with a, you know, they're coming in because they're committed to the cause, the reason that why they're doing things, but they also have a personal reason behind it. Mm -hmm. Him, you know, the idea that he's recruited by a team leader who later dies, um, for his partner, you know, joining MI5, going in the intelligence world, losing your family to this event, choosing to pursue OPSEC, potentially for a little bit of vengeance, justice, accountability, um, maybe even making sense of it all. And then with that, you know, there's going to be this desire to not limit yourself, to learn from the people around you, to sort of like use what their strengths are to your benefit. But I also, you know, like this idea that you're talking about where there's going to be a conflict in those ideologies. Because when you think of uh, the great examples that I think would rise tension in, say, like a popular show like Homeland, it was rarely about them identifying who was a big target. It was about, did they have to kill the target or was this now an asset? 
the moment a target becomes an asset and you've ratcheted up the tension, but you're also playing for a much longer game, mm -hmm. that makes sense to someone with an MI5 intelligence background. They're always thinking long game. SAS is like, I have a hammer. That's the nail. I don't understand what the problem is. Just let me hammer the nail so I can mission objective. Otherwise, how does someone whose life is or career or understanding of the world is rooted around completing a mission when someone says stop sorry that last domino that's got to fall sorry yeah. we're not doing that and with, we've, we've stopped things <laughs> and without giving too much away how do those two personalities react when they find out the mission they think they're doing is not the actual mission they're doing so that's always going to be a challenge because now you have okay things have changed what will you do who are you in response to this? Uh, will this be your undoing? Can you adapt? Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's so often that thing adapt and survive, right? Now, of course, we also have the chaos in the mix. We have this young lady and the doll. Uh, a little history and and how they became a part of OPSEC and and what they sort of um, do sure. as part of this combination. Sure. So, so the young lady's name is Barbara King. And uh, the doll's name is Maisie. And um, Barbara King and Maisie, uh, this is one of those short stories that I wrote that is kind of buried. And, and I will say that the, even though the, the comic has its dark moments, the way it's drawn and the levity I bring in um, is on purpose. So it's not so over the top. But the short stories are, are pretty dark. Um, I will say, you know, so um, because I, I, I love writing my horror, you know, stuff as well. And so Barbara King and Maisie, Barbara was actually in an insane asylum. Um, and she, her powers awoke after the event. And in this short story, I wrote Nigel and uh, Indra are the OPSEC leaders going in to uh, rescue slash recruit slash liberate her out of the insane asylum and they show up and everybody in the asylum is dead the whole asylum has been killed and they come in with a heavy team so 12 agents uh, uh well not agents but uh soldiers for lack of a better word armed to go in there and it, it's pretty ugly and bloody and you really get to see where her powers are coming from and they eventually um uh, are able to subdue her and bring her in, you know, and, and I would love for when that story comes out in its fullness, people are going to ask, okay, how did we get from where she was recruited from into now she was assigned to work with these OPSEC agents? Because there's a middle part of the story where you're going to go, I want to know that. And I'm going to say, I'm not telling you until it's time to, you know, <laughs> and, um, but yeah, you know, but babe, you know, going back to Barbara King, um, she's got a really troubled past. Um, you know, I, I have a whole backstory for her where she grew up, um, grew up on in an abusive place. Uh, is really that punk rock kid uh, escaped from abuse and and sexual abuse and everything into dolls. You know, so really escaped into her mind and into dolls and toys, and um, eventually uh, was into drugs. Uh, was in and out of different, um, you know, courts and, and, you know, court, the court system, the judicial system and everything else. And then the event happened and uh, she started hearing voices. She started hearing things like dolls talking to her and stuff. And she thought she was going insane. And so she ends up in this insane asylum. Well, you know, fast forward about 
from the time the event happens and she goes into the insane asylum and then it's six months after that that she is broken out of the insane asylum because she comes into her powers and then the events of OPSEC are another six months after that so it's a year after the event so and wow. yeah and so Barbara King now has this doll Maisie and you have an idea where she comes from but I haven't told anybody what Maisie's actual origins are but the doll is actually possessed and is an actual demon living in a doll you know and is helping her and so Barbara has this weird mix of paranormal and infernal powers and has the ability to command toys and bring them to life and her toys that she brings to life are always murderous and I will say in the short story um, these 12 soldiers go in to subdue her and all of them are wiped out by a variety of like Barney dolls and Barbies and everything breaking their, you know, uh, one scene I wrote, <laughs> one Barbie is shot and her splintered leg comes off. So she takes a splinter leg off and jumps up and stabs it into the eye of a soldier and kills him, you know? So, yeah. So I, <laughs> that's really fun. Um, that reminds me, I was watching, have you ever heard of Vox Machina? Yep. The, uh, Amazon prime. I was watching season two. If you've seen it, um, I'll feel comfortable describing a scene. If you haven't finished season two, I won't give a spoiler, but that reminds me of a scene from season two where a character gets something and they, and as they're doing it, one of the other characters goes, that is badass right before they get beaten <laughs> by the thing that, you know what I mean? So yeah. I, I love that example. That's really fun. I love when characters do that. You're like, Oh, this just got weird. You know, it's almost like a, what was it? Deadpool 2 where he uses his broken limb to choke Cable. Yeah. And you're like, there's a degree of, right? Yeah. But there's also this fun of like, what if you didn't have the limit of pain and discomfort? And you're like, hey, a broken limb is now a tool. Yeah. It's a weapon. <laughs> and, and I love those comments. You know, um, L.A. was one of the editors on, on my novel for Any One World. And uh, both the editors, when they would get back to me, the thing I loved the most is when they would write something like, oh, that is so messed up, or I'm not going to sleep tonight, or something like that. It's like, yes, you know, so. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good feeling, yeah. because once you've had that idea, right, then you're also like, okay, how do I translate what I'm feeling when I think of this idea to a moment in a story where you feel it the same way? And when it's success, it's like, it's like telling a great joke. And when you deliver the punchline, you're like, yes. Swish. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, and so, and, and I will say that um, my favorite things to write uh, when it comes to like scary stuff or, or suspense are the things that scare me. And to me, the things that scare me uh, come from my childhood or growing up or, or movies that I watched and they're evil children, evil dolls, and like demonic possession, those types of things. I, I was scared of those as a kid. I still scare me now. I like to be scared, but you know, uh, yeah, I mean, if you've got the time, I've got a great story about where the, the evil doll came from that's directly from my childhood, so. I've totally got the time. Let's hear it. <laughs> sure. So, um, in my parents' house, uh, my mom had, a, you know, our, our, their spare room was all the way in the back of the house, and there's this long hallway going back there. And the light in the hallway was always, like, broken. It, would, it wouldn't work. And so my mom would send us to go back there to get stuff or whatever and my brother and i were scared to death because she had all these antique dolls there 
and they were the the old dolls with the porcelain faces and and one of them was broken and so the eyes would open and close by themselves it would make a visible click right and i distinctly remember um this one moment where uh i was about seven or eight and there was this movie called magic on at the time uh, that there was an add-on all the time for this movie called magic um and it was this ventriloquist dummy that comes on there and it was like evil and everything and it was talking to you my brother was scared to death that he'd scream and so this thing had just come on and my mom was like hey can you go get me some sewing stuff in the back room and i was like oh no i gotta go back there <laughs> and so i went back there and the light in the hallway was broken and so i had to turn the light off in the back room with all these dolls behind me and so it's all dark behind me and it's dark in front of me and then i heard the doll's eye click open and that was it. I just took off running, you know, just blazing down the hallway. You know, got in trouble because I took the stairs. I jumped the stairs all the way down into the living room, you know. But it's like that just stuck with me from that moment forward. You know, the magic commercial and then the doll opening and closing its eyes. I was always back. And then at the same time, I'd like Talking Tina. I love that from, you know, uh, the Twilight Zone and everything. So it's like nice. it's over. You know, it's over <laughs> at that point. <laughs> No, you're you uh, you've touched on some great moments. I mean, it is the thing that 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 you know we can we can chase the romantic, we can chase the things that scare us, but the things that affect us are the things that so often it's almost like okay, look, my psyche still processes. I'm writing about it. Yeah, you know, it's it's one of those great sources where it's like, oh, trauma, gotcha. You you need you need me to have something that's terrifying, gotcha. I can, I can draw up those moments in a minute. And it, it's a, I think it's one of those things that for me, I'm always interested in because it reminds me of a vulnerability that I, I used to only associate with like performers, musicians and actors. And then I realized that with all arts, if you're going to really affect people, reach people in the way you desire to, you become as vulnerable. You mine those places of yourself that are uncomfortable, that you don't like remembering that are difficult that maybe even um you know leave you with complicated feelings after you've gone there but it's a willingness to say this is what it's worth to me mm -hmm. right this is what i believe is important enough if i want to give you this understanding i'm going to mine these depths and then i'm going to come back with a story that shares that same idea in a hope that by doing so i i've done that that thing i've made you feel something you know, I, I got lucky as an artist. I captured your attention, and then along the way, I, I made you feel. Um, <laughs> Abs absolutely. It's, so it's quite a challenge. It's also, you know, um, it, it's a, it's almost an unending resource if you're willing to keep going back there. If you can find a healthy way to go. Okay, so I'm older now. I'm in the dark and scary place. I know it's gonna click, but instead, I want to pay attention to certain details about why this matters and and what happens and what if I take a twist to the left or the right? What if, as that kid, I laugh at the fly that suddenly appears in the screen behind me, or I instead of running out of the room, what if I turn around? How much more terrifying? I mean, hopefully, it doesn't cause a heart attack right now, but still, what if I can go to that place and? ask myself a question and then follow it through it's also um i think it's a, an interesting way to keep going back to that place and sort of take some of the fear away or at least say here this was scary but here's how it can be something more than just a scary moment from my my past that's a really great example yeah i really enjoyed hearing that one man i appreciate it i i love doing that and i also love 
you know, once I get into the heads of the the evil as well, it makes it easier for me to 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 deal with those things in the past as well because I'm not gonna say it humanizes it, but it's, it becomes another character that I can play with, you know, and it's another thing on the sandbox that I work with, you know. Um, the only problem that I have sometimes is that I get so invested in the characters um, that I become emotionally invested in them, you know. Um, but luck, thank God, hadn't had to do this in the comics yet, but in the novel, um, there is a character that I loved, and when it was time for them to die, I had a really hard time with it. A really really difficult time with it yeah i actually i appreciate that because i know that that can be one of the hardest challenges you know for any writer at a stage with their characters when you want all of the things that you want for them and then at some point there's going to be that great reader or editor who's like yeah but they got to go through something for it to matter they have to do something they have to struggle there has to be a force working against mm -hmm. them uh, otherwise, it's simply, you know, cataloging all of these moments that they succeed without ever having a value. And that sometimes, unfortunately, as we understand in the real world, in order for certain things to um, transpire for some characters, maybe it's not even about that. It's simply the idea that we don't all get our ending. Mm -hmm. We don't always reach the thing that we're reaching for. And, and with that is um, an understanding that the characters who survive take with them. There's an importance that goes with that. I, I appreciate that. I, I, think it's, I think it's one of the hardest things because you want to love these characters. So yeah. why would you want to cause them pain? Why would you want to make them suffer? Why would you want to you know, tell the story of their passing and, and not only do that to them but hurt yourself in the process right. if you care about them the way you do and I, and I have to say once again it goes back to my wife I, I actually wrote two versions of this chapter and uh, I was talking to her and she's like well which one serves the story better you know which one is the version of the story that you wanted to tell and I said well it's the one where this character dies she's like well then it's obvious what you gotta do and I was like yeah it is you know so <laughs> I, I think that's really great because I'm just going to pose this kid. It's just an idea that shot to me, and I, I'm wondering how you feel about it because it, it is um, something that I know was was a big difference for different writers that I've known. This idea of permission, right? It's almost like you sort of know what you either have to or want to do, and then you sort of turn around and say, hi, I would have done this already but clearly I'm pausing and I want to share it with you. And then afterwards, it's like, yeah, this is what you need to do. And if it matches with what you're already thinking, you're like, okay. Now, do we need that extra step? Maybe. Maybe it's just a great way for us to have that closure. Maybe it's a great way for us to sort of, you know, balance where you've been living in your mind while you're with these characters and, and sort of say, Hi, I, can I get a reference point? Can someone just show me the horizon and we can get an idea of where we are? But I, I think it's also important that if you don't have that, right? If you don't have that and you need that as part of your process, if it's important, you can really get stuck in your own head. There can be great stories that will stop here because there there isn't that moment where you make that choice. Yeah. And yet... Um, it sounds like you found your horizon very, at a very specific and significant point in your life. And because of that, uh, even when those doubts, even when those questions arise, 
you, you have that point you can come back to and say, hi, so I'm looking for the horizon again. What do you think? Yeah, um, absolutely. I, at some point, if enough of these stories get out, is she prepared to do a side hustle and maybe end up being like some sort of editor? <laughs> she is a teacher, uh, English major. Uh, she reads through my stuff. I would love for her to do that, and maybe she will someday. Uh, she's really good. Not only that, I have to say, um, you know, we've been together. Our 27th anniversary is coming up, and we've been together 30 mm -hmm. years. So she knows me well enough also to call me call me on stuff, you know, to, to point out and tell me the hard stuff, you know, she'll read something and she has, not that she has no qualms, she's not cruel about it, but she'd be like, this is terrible, you know, so it's like, uh oh, you know, I got to go back and look at it, you know, which is invaluable, you know, invaluable, so. Yeah, it's hard, no one wants it, it's not the thing you're looking for, you're looking for, you know, but... I, I have also known when I feel like something's rough and shared it and you're like, yep, that's rough. You're like, okay, thought so. thought that was exactly, <laughs> yeah. you know, like I just wanted the confirmation that I, this needs more work. Um, with that, man, I'm, I'm caught up, you know, just overall in the fact that we've been talking a lot about the great work you've done with Hades. But you mentioned that you really started getting back into writing through your time with Comic Crusaders. And I'm just curious yeah. uh, if we should, I think it's important to, Consider what else you've been doing in the fiction writing world that people can enjoy, that they can sort of say, hey, look, maybe I'm a voracious reader. I read everything you have on ASAP and any one world. Do you have anything else? Is there anything else out there that I can get my hands on and digest? Uh, well, um, in perspectives, this is also through ASAP Imagination, but this is something completely different. Uh, perspectives was a short story anthology for um, charity. I wrote a story that was a prequel to something that I'm working on right now. So, uh, and this prequel story goes into another world called Blood World. So I mentioned that I created my own imprint and it's called Raincross Press and we're gonna be doing novels and short stories and comics in a science fiction far future setting, uh, set in 2587. And so I created a whole other world um, with its rules and everything, you know, I did the whole world building. I actually wrote 200 pages of history for the world, um, you know, because yeah. I just wanted to do that and come up with it and, and see how we got from 2023 to 2587 and everything in between and what happened and, and technology and all that stuff. And so uh, I've written a number of stories in that. I'm writing short stories and a novel, and I've got three other novelists that I'm going to work with that we're going to build up a novel catalog within this world. And we're working on comics as well within that. So that that's on its way. And there's the short story is takes place in the 22nd century, uh, or the, no, I'm sorry, the 23rd century. And so you see the beginnings of what is the mass migration off of Earth. And there, it, it looks specifically at an event there. And it's kind of interesting. And that's in uh, that short story anthology perspectives. Um, other than that, I also have out a novel right now. Uh, it's a paranormal horror slash thriller uh, for, uh, and it was published through Any One World, uh, but it's called The Long Game. And um, yeah, that is out right now. That came out fairly recently and it's out on sale right now. So, yeah. That's amazing. Um, in a, you know, what would you say the, 
what, what's the popular term, logline or something that you would use to uh, describe this uh, this book that you yeah. just were mentioning, your novel? The Long Game? Um, oh, man, now you're, you, I suddenly blanked. I will say that that's okay. We can <laughs> we can come back to it if you want. I can ask some questions about other stuff and see if the subconscious feeds things in for you. Yeah, yeah. Go, can, if we could come back to it, that's that would be great because uh, no problem. Yeah, so because I want to move also into the fact that you know you're now in the role of publishing. You've created your own studio. You are working with other writers. Um, I'm going to bug you later for all those links and folks I'll include those all in the liner notes so you can check those out for yourselves and, and, and make sure that's but um, maybe just give us a little bit about what those projects look like and how soon we can anticipate enjoying them in the public will they um, have any association with any one world will you uh, you know, where is it folks can go so that they can subscribe and probably get a hold of a newsletter, updates or things like that. And what's your, um, sure. if you have anything out, what is it? And if not, what is your uh, first publishing sort of target date looking like? I know that's a lot of yeah. stuff for you to cover, but along the way, I'm hoping we'll also tease the subconscious for the log line for the novel. Yeah, so um, Blood World, we were originally were planning on having something out in March and we were crowdfunding to do it because the biggest problem... Uh, as I'm sure you're aware with comics, is that art is very expensive, you know? So... Uh, the, the best is, right? Yeah. If, it, if you want it good, right? And and um, originally, my idea for Blood World was to do something like Heavy Metal or 2000 AD, where it would be a graphic anthology, you know? And, and so 80 pages of art uh, without getting into specifics is a lot of money. Yeah, a lot of money. <laughs> right. And uh, so... We were going to crowdfund it, and we weren't successful. And so I took a step back, and, and I made mistakes, and I'll freely admit that. And I was like, you know, what what are my assets? What do I have going for me? I've got these stories, and I've got an artist who is also my partner in Raincross Press. I said, the two of us work great well, very well together. We've got one issue completely done uh, as far as what we want to do. And so we took a step back and said, we're going to go and do baby steps first. It started instead of jumping in with two feet, you know. So we're going to be releasing an issue of the first story, which is called Fellhand. Um, and we're working on that now. And then we will crowdfund to get it published, but we want to finish the whole comic with lettering and everything and then offer that to the public. So I'm hoping that this summer that'll be what we're doing. And immediately after we finish that, we're jumping in to issue number one of another story. And there's these two stories that are fundamental to building up the graphic universe, the graphic part of the universe. And so we're going to build those and then go from there. And then we're also going to flesh everything out with the short stories and the novels. And um, I have finished a anthology of short stories uh, for Blood World Universe. And I'm editing that right now, which is always takes a long time, <laughs> you know. So I'm doing that. And I've also finished a novella. So it's not a full-length novel of another story within Blood World about something called a blood wraith. Um, just to give you a little idea for that, a blood wraith, there are two main societies um, in the Blood World universe. And one of them is a human society very much driven on genetic engineering. And uh, so... Blood race are the assassins and spy of that society. 
and they have the unique genetic makeup to real-time change their genetic code to pretty much grow anything. They can grow weapons or harden their skin or a whole host of things. Unfortunately, when they do that, every time they do that, they have the chance of doing genetic damage. You do enough genetic damage, you turn into biological goo, you know, so they can melt. Not desirable. No. Not, not you know, in the most aesthetically pleasing yeah. or functional, I would imagine. Um. Yeah, so I, I, I've written a novella in that, and I'm editing that as well, and it's called Death Be Not Proud, and it's about one nice. mission of of a blood wraith. So, you know, and I'm going to be doing that too. I love the John Dunn... Uh, Poetic reference. Love that you know John Dunn. (laughs) (laughs) That one, yeah, that was, I I remember I had a retail job and I remember as a way of like having a mantra, I memorized that poem and I would recite it to myself during times of uh, customer service distress or simply like I have to get through whatever this next moment is. And yeah, so with that, uh, I was really glad to hear that. And I would imagine for anyone who's like, okay, well, I'm, you know, mildly impatient. So I'm going to seek out where you have avenues of communication so I can receive regular updates on when these projects are coming and and things like that. Where should the good people seek you out? Go to find, um, what's the source? If you go to raincrosspress.com, we have a sign up for our newsletter there. So, um, and we send out updates and things through that. Um, You could also go... I gotta re-update it, but I have uh, dwhoward.com, so that is my author uh, website. You can go to that one, or um, I'm always available as NemesisFC2 on Twitter and Instagram. So when people send me stuff like that, they can find me there. And I did find I found the the back cover for uh, uh, the long game, so I could read you the the back cover like blurb if you want for that. How serendipitous. I knew if we gave it just enough time, it would work out. Yeah, let's hear it. I, I will say real quick, one of the things I love, I'm curious if you ever read these, people ask me for, uh, you know, like works that influence the long game. The works that influence the long game really were Hellblazer, you know, the Hellblazer comics mm. with John Constantine, and also yeah. uh, Club Dumas, the Club Dumas by Arturo Perez Rivarte, so, which was turned into a movie called The Ninth Gate starring Johnny Depp. So... Yes, I was like, this name is registering with me, and I remember the translation was The Ninth Gate, yep. which was a very surreal movie-going experience, one that really, yeah. you know, um, captured a lot of ideas that seemed very present, and at the same time extended them in some really exciting prospects. Yeah, I, I, oh, wow, I, interesting. I really love that movie. So, anyway, so uh, the, the blurb from the back. Uh, Lieutenant Michael Domenicali and his team, detectives Renee Murdoch and Delia Sanchez, have been called to the scene of a riot and double homicide outside the Queens Women's Medical Clinic. A college student named Rita Jameson has shot and killed a high school student named Natalie Fossbender during a protest. Rita Jameson was beaten to death in the ensuing melee. What appears to be a simple case becomes a murky as the detectives begin digging into the background of the deceased woman. Each thread they pull adds another layer of complexity to the case. Meanwhile, forces outside their control exert pressure on the detective and his team. Who is pulling the strings and why? Complicating matters, the detectives begin to experience nightmares. One by one, they are drawn into a shared nightmare as their tension and stress escalate. The nightmares have all the hallmarks of a serial killer case they solved years earlier, Earlier, the clockwork murders. How did the two cases tie together, and why are they having the same demonic nightmares night after night? Couldn't hear you. 
it did not unmute again. Yeah. That was adorable. <laughs> um, <laughs> but no, that was a really perfect teaser. That's a great way for people to just get immersed in all of the different challenges that are being faced, where it starts, who these characters are, you know, are as they enter the story, what they're trying to unlock, and recognizing that there are threads connecting back to a case they once thought they solved a long time ago. Um, wow. Well done, sir. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a great introduction. It's a great tease. Um, I will make sure that, uh, that Nem gets me all the links for everything that we've discussed, everything from the long game to uh, Raincross Press to, uh, you know, I've got the stuff for ASAP and uh, any one world, and I'll make sure those are included. Um, also, if between now and then or along the way, if uh, Raincross ends up with social media, uh, presence that you want to share with and that I can include. I'll fold those into the notes so that if sure. someone's... Oh, if you already have them. We actually do. We, we're we on Twitter as, at Raincross PR. Um, so, and we're also on Instagram, same handle. So, Cool. So I'll get those handles as well and I'll, I'll, I'll tag them in the notes. But there it is. You know, you can go to ASAP Imagination. You can go to any one world. You can get a hold of OPSEC right now. You've got the long game. And then you also have Raincross Press with all the expectations coming out for the upcoming summer and into 2023. All of this information, places you can find so you can read up, catch up, and get ready for all the great things coming along. Nem, thank you so much. Uh, I've enjoyed hearing not only about your experiences with Hades, ASAP Imagination, but also the story of your experience as a writer, um, finding a, uh, a great guide, a, a great uh, reference on the horizon there. Thank you. And um, Yeah, this was and great. You're welcome. And it, hey, oh, my pleasure. the only thing, uh, I'm putting a call out. I would love to see somebody uh, do some OPSEC cosplay so please you know it's like i if somebody goes to a con and sends me a photo of them dressed up as any you know it could be barbara or Maisie or any of the agents at a con i'll send you a, a free copy a signed copy of opsec one and two so you know i i, I okay. will do that i'm gonna I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna make sure i share that too um also if you have images you can share with me because i have a funny thing i'm going to a con in like 45 minutes. Oh, um, okay. After, after we hop off, I'm going to head off to one. I, I figured I could catch the second half of it. I know they'll be doing some cosplay. And I'm, one, going to be looking. And then, two, if I run into some cosplayers and get the opportunity to say, hey, do you ever try out new characters? Do you ever take on a different identity? And they're open to it. I'll pass the word along because, you know, all it takes is an idea. You never know what someone's going to do in response to a great image, a great Absolutely. Challenge. Yeah, uh, after we're off, just let me know, and I'll, I'll send you some images and stuff like that. So, for sure. Definitely, yeah. Um, and with that, if you don't mind, Nem and I are going to actually speak like human beings, which means we're going to <laughs> stop the recording, no longer be observed figures, creatures, performers. And, um, man... Thank you again. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, I can't wait to do this again when you have more stuff coming out from Raincross and we can talk about all of the great things that you've done and have in store next. Absolutely. Sound absolutely. Like Sounds great. <laughs> all right. Thank you, man. I'm going to hit the end record button.